Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. More of the G7 time with Jeffrey Myers, who is a law lecturer at Thompson Rivers University in Kamloops, British Columbia. Professor Myers, Jeff, welcome to the show. Oh, hi, Sterling. Uh, hi, thanks for having me on. I'm uh, glad to uh, be out here with uh, Roy Green's uh, listenership today. Indeed, and we just heard from Abigail Beeman reporting from the G7, and uh, an, an interesting twist to the plot with a surprise, well, surprise, perhaps carefully orchestrated surprise, but nonetheless, for those of us who didn't expect it, the foreign minister of Iran shows up to uh, introduce a new element to the conversation. Yeah, I was just seeing that as this breaking news here, and of course you're already on top of it. What do I know? I'm not the professional journalist. I'm just a law professor here moonlighting on the weekend. Right? Uh-huh. Um, yeah, I saw that. It's quite remarkable. So it, it seems like what happened is that uh, President Macron, of course, who's hosting the G7 meeting this year, has invited, this is what's being reported, the foreign minister of Iran to come as his guest. Um, in, and hasn't notified at least the Trump administration or really anybody else about this in order to sort of try to bring down the pressure and the tension between Iran and the United States that exists now, not by forcing, because there's no way to do that, at kind of face-to-face meetings with uh, Donald Trump, right, but just to kind of maybe try to create the conditions uh, for some de-escalation. I don't know if it'll work or not, but it's certainly a newsworthy and interesting um, and perhaps stabilizing uh, move in the end. The concern seems to be, uh, even from non-members of the G7, the world is watching this meeting for a number of reasons. One, Jeff, to see if they're going to uh, collectively find a way to apply some pressure to the Bolsonaro regime in Brazil to bring more focus on getting those fires under control. And, of course, the other major global issue after weeks of instability and a roller coaster on the Dow and everybody else's stock exchange is the trade war with China. Yeah. Yeah, you do have kind of looming in the backdrop two major issues. And you're right. One of them is this question of the environment where you have these out of control fires raging in the Amazon basin, which of course is in Brazil, where you have uh, basically uh, President Bolsonaro, who is, you know, understood to be about as close to fascist, if not outright fascist as you can be today. And it's not something that, um, you know, people like Boris Johnson or President Trump want to uh, necessarily see encompassing or addressing the agenda because they're also climate change either deniers or skeptics. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is a leader in a similar sort of far right nationalist vein as themselves. But you have the French hosts who traditionally are engaged internationalist sort of neoliberals, and they're very concerned about seeing the Paris Accord architecture dissolve and then to see what's happening now with these out of control fires in the Amazon are being denied by the government there and are pro- prohibiting a kind of necessary international response. Although, and, although to be fair, Jeff, at, at least the global pressure has been so extreme in the last 48 hours, the president did at least buckle to the point where he assigned the military to the task of helping the forest fighters. Yeah, the yeah, firefighters, so he, rather. Actually, he's going to buckle under the pressure for sure. Yeah, it's just... The thing, the interesting thing is, is obviously the way the president, the French view this, and again, just like Canada did last year, the French are, are the hosts this year, and they sort of um, have the agenda, right? They view it as the environmental issues being right on par with those economic issues. For Donald Trump, the difficulty is he's he's been thus far wanting to take credit for robust economic indicators according to like traditional things like um, basic growth rates, unemployment, and GDP in the U.S. 
And now there's this possibility of a recession in the offing that's directly as a result of his escalation or ratcheting up of these trade disputes with China. That's what he wants to say. So on the one hand, you have China, okay, not in the G7, not in the room. You have uh, Brazil, not in the G7, not in the room. Mm-hmm. Uh, both are the G20 powers, right? And you're just kind of, I think, you're, and then you're seeing this divided G7 where you see this new alliance, of course, emerging between Boris Johnson and Donald Trump, which is very natural, obvious, and for many of us repugnant, but nevertheless real. Um, and to fo- uh, and to sort of and to lean in and get trade relationships with one another and sort of push the others aside. And then you have on the outside these major factors, these major emerging powers, which we've known about for the last 10 years that have been reflected in the emerging other structure of the G20, who are really also pushing the agenda, but not in the room. And then you have this typical great power politics dynamic going on as well. And it makes for a very complex situation and one in which very little is likely to be done, particularly where the host, as I say again of this year's conference, uh, Mr. Macron, has taken the position that there should be no communique at the end exactly. of the Exactly. That's right. So it, <clears> it, 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 it's, uh, it, it's a pretty strong indicator of limited expectations, wouldn't you say? So, yeah, well, typically what was significant about these um, these um, meetings was that there would be this communique, and this, it would send usually on some major uh, economic issues and global or geopolitical issues that united the wealthiest uh, leading usually democratic countries would be a communique saying this is the direction we're going, this is what we intend to do. Um, carefully crafted, but nevertheless very important to sort of the stability of the international system for several decades since the G7 has started to play the role it has since the mid-70s. Um, and we're not seeing now after Charlevoix, which was the meeting last year hosted in by Canada, Trump, right? Yeah, Canada, mm-hmm. where there was the communique was basically un- short-circuited in a spectacular kind of um, exit uh, by Mr. Trump early, and then a disparaging of the host on Air Force One. Everybody remembers that. There's Macron has decided not only is he now we're finding out going to fly in the Iranian foreign minister at the very last minute to try to tweak maybe the U.S. president or to assert his own um, autonomy, but also he's decided he's going to lower expectations in general in terms of what can come out of the G7. Yes. So I think this, this, this lowers the G7's importance. It, it lowers its power. I think all of these institutions, they will withstand you know one-term pr- Trump presidency, but if Trump gets reelected and Boris Johnson shows any degree of you know, permanence in the United Kingdom and people like Bolsonaro stay around and we become this kind of right-wing nationalist world. It's hard to see the G7 being having the same relevance it does, it, it does um, you know, five, ten years from now. Um, Boris so- Johnson is, is definitely an X factor because, of course, he is the prime minister of the UK, but he is unelected to that office. He, as many British prime ministers before, he was replaced. He, the, the pre, his predecessor, Theresa May, was replaced by Mr. Johnson. He has not yet gone to the people as leader of his party, and there is uh, still some debate as to actual electability, Jeff. <laughs> Yeah, um, well, it's true, but you and I both know that in parliamentary systems like the one we have here in Canada and like the one that they have in the UK and, and, and that, that, that we're so familiar with, that the party leaders, um, you know, before an election, once they're properly in place, they are, you know, the prime minister in every sense, legally and constitutionally, oh, and they absolutely. have a great sure. deal of power. Yep. They don't have that electoral mandate, so you're right to point to that. But I think in this case, part of the problem that was with uh, the former government, with Ms. May, or should say government former leader with Ms. May, was that everybody had known that she, like Mr. Cameron before her, were 
were not in favor of Brexit. And so there was this idea that somebody's negotiating Brexit without having really been in favor of it in the first place. So there's right. somehow or another, I think, a sense, I hate to say it because it doesn't align with my own personal politics, but it, it, it has to be admitted that this is more in keeping with at least the democratic mandate provided by the Brexit referendum in the first place, because Mr. Johnson was always somebody who said Brexit on uh, forward hope. Jeff, I have to leave it there, but thanks so much for your analysis. Always a pleasure to have a conversation with you. Much appreciated. Oh, Sterling, always a pleasure to talk to you and to be on with uh, Roy Green's listeners, a particular privilege. So we'll Prof- talk again soon, I hope. All right, hope so too. Professor Jeffrey Myers, a law lecturer at Thompson Rivers University in British Columbia. If you want to hear more, subscribe to The Roy Green Show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorites. And if you like what you hear, leave us a review and tell a friend. I'm Roy Green. Have a great weekend.